I don't know if you ever have this feeling, but I want to show you an image this morning. Uh, I, I love pictures like this. I love time-lapse photos. You know, this is a picture, obviously, of traffic, and, 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 and it, they freeze it, and they do fun things with filters and, and speed it up and slow it down. And, they, and, and I just think pictures that show blurred. I don't know. I, every time I see pictures like this, I think, that's just the cool. I study. I could get lost in it forever. But I, I was looking at one of these the other day, and I wondered, do, do you ever think that your life feels like that? Just fast and furious, and, and the pace is just blurred. Do you, do you ever feel like the pace of your life, it gets really blurred? Do you, do you, ever, you ever have the feeling that, that you're constantly behind? You ever feel that way? You ever, you ever feel, uh, some of you moms are going daily, right? Like, the, you know, laundry mounts up, bills mount up. You ever feel at work? Like, you, like you're, you're almost able to touch the goal of caught up, but never, right? But not ever quite there, right? I was looking at, at this week at a study of just, you know, we were hearing more and more reports all the time about how Americans are overwhelmed and, and how much, how fatigued they are. And I was watching a CBS, uh, don't show the image yet. Uh, I, I was watching this four-minute video. I was just doing some research, and it, and it has some recent videos put out uh, on CBS News about America's sleepiest cities. And I'm watching this video, and this pops up. Number one, Nashville. And I was like, no way. I didn't want to be on that list, right? That's the one list I don't want to be on, the most overwhelmed. I don't know who, what data they used to put that together, but that is not a good crowd, right? Uh, Austin's number two, Denver's number three, Indianapolis is number four. I've been to Indianapolis, but there's not a lot to do in Indianapolis. I don't, I don't know. If you're from Indy, you know, deal with it. But, um, but no, no kidding, in, in all fairness. You know, it, it just it reminded me of, of it, 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 was a, it was a great piece on just how overwhelmed people feel at, at work. And then, and I don't just, I don't just think it's about pace. I, I, I think a lot of what we see in our current lives is that life is picked up and it's faster and it's faster and it's faster. And then, and then you introduce things like the smartphone, right? So, so we know that, that you know, it, this thing we call a, a mobile phone, it's not really so mobile because you're chained to that thing, right? You're chained to it. And, 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 and I'll tell you, all you have to do, no kidding, I'm, I'm, I'm not playing around. I mean, this is something that, that I don't know how to fix it, but I know it's real. All you got to do is Google the effect of smartphone notifications on the brain, and it will mess with your head. Like this is just one article. Business Insider did it a few months ago in, in, in April. This is what your smartphone's doing to your brain, and it isn't good. And it was a fascinating article about what happens to literally research from Harvard, Harvard Business Review. There's been all kinds of entities picking up this of what notifications, vroom, vroom, ding, ding, you know, and I'm not looking at anybody right now, but like, these, even your watch now is telling your brain stuff, right? And, 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 it's, and, and I'm not picking on you if you wear a Google watch or any kind. I'm, I'm just saying, even if you don't wear one of those kind of watches, I mean, we have, all have phones, and then you can get your same text on your laptop. I mean, it's, we, we never get away 
from notifications. And, and researchers are now coming out with more and more data that's suggesting that it is physically altering the way our brains work. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it at all. And it doesn't mean that smartphones are bad. But here's what's happening to us. When you add the pace of life and when you add the fact that you never can really get away from people anymore, what you're discovering is that it's really hard to be present anywhere, right? It's, really, it's getting harder and harder to be where your feet are. It's getting really hard to be anywhere all in with your mind. In, in fact, one of, one of the new, I uh, almost tripped over that. Uh, one, one of the new words that's coming out now in the business world is switch cost. Like flip a switch, switch cost. Read, read a review the other day that, that it's, it's being measured that you really can't multitask as much as you think you can. And so the switch cost of when you're going in a meeting and you're doing something and you hear a mm-mm, you hear a bing-bing, or you feel a phantom vibration or even a real vibration, the research is indicating that there's like a four, up to a 40% reduction in your ability to get back to where you left off in that moment. And I believe it. Because our brains are constantly under attack. We're tired. Life is fast. And we're constantly under a barrage of messaging. And, and then you... Then you enter this man named Jesus, who really did seem to live at a completely different pace. I mean, at a whole different pace. I don't know if this troubles you, but, but every time I read this scripture, it honestly bothers me. Look at what Jesus said about his own life. He, he, and he said in, in the high priestly prayer in John 17, he, he told the Father, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. You realize what he's saying right there, right? He's basically, if, if you want to call it this, he's at the end of his career. He's at the end, and he says, did it all. Did all of it. Can you imagine, like, when you get older, whatever older is for you, can you imagine knowing that this is the last year you're ever going to live, and you say, you know, I literally did everything I ever wanted to do ever. I, I accomplished it 100%. That's an insane statement. But Jesus said, I, I finished all the work that you gave me to do. It's fascinating to me that Jesus had that kind of, of rhythm. He had a rhythm to life. Jesus made statements like this. Man, this is haunting too, isn't it? Look at what Jesus said. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. You know what? You can't offer rest unless you're rested. Right? You can't. You can't offer rest unless you're rested. Jesus lived to a, to a whole different rhythm, rhythm and, 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 and he faced the whirlwind too. He, he faced life, had just as much pressure on him as it does on us, and, and if not more so, obviously, because b- between him and me, only one of us in that exchange is taking on the sins of the world and all humanity. There was pressure, intense pressure on Jesus, but he lived at a different rhythm. We're going to start a new series today, and we're calling it, How Did Jesus... Fill in the blank. How did Jesus? We're going to deal with things like, how did Jesus handle anger? How did Jesus deal with rejection? How did Jesus deal with forgiveness? It's like a look at the life of Christ, but on the street. 
We're going to look at Jesus in everyday life. In fact, you're going to see an email coming out this week. And, and this is what we're encouraging you to do. We're going to, we're going to show you the dates and the topics so that you can invite your friends if, if you know someone's dealt with shame, how did they, Jesus deal with shame? There's, a, there's one on the docket for that. We want you to bring people that you know. It's a perfect way for you to say, hey, this Sunday, we're going to deal with like this issue, and I know you faced it. It's a, a natural reflection of, of letting, us, letting the Word of God speak to something. So each week, we're, we're going to look at a very practical aspect. And today, we're going to look at how did Jesus handle hurry? How did Jesus handle hurry? How did, he, how did he handle hurry? So I want you to turn to Luke chapter 5 with me this morning. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, and, and, and we're, gonna, we're just going to look at two verses right here. So Jesus is calling the disciples out to him. He's just healed a leper. And this is where it picks up. Now, I want to say something to you as you're turning to Luke 5, Okay. When you look at how Jesus lived out the rhythm of his life, I want to say something to you. There, there's just no way to pick out one verse for that. It's just not possible. In fact, in the New Testament, what we know about Jesus, we had to gather from multiple passages about Jesus. One of the longest passages we've ever had is Philippians 2 that tells us about what kind of attitude Jesus has. But there's not just one. In fact, when it comes to this whole idea of how Jesus handled hurry, there's not just one passage that speaks to this. You have to go through the Gospels, and you have to notice a pattern. And that's what, over the years, this is, this is something that's been really important to me. Overcoming a hurried life. And I'm not talking about just busy, and I'm not talking about frantic. I'm talking about, listen to me, I'm talking about being present. I'm talking about living to a different rhythm. It's something that has been front of my brain for probably 15 years now. And I'm going to say this to you this morning. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. I'm really not great at it, but I do try. I work hard. I work hard to, to think through the pace of my life. I don't mean just daily, the pace of my soul. And so in Luke 5, we have a little snippet. I'm going to carry you through several scriptures this morning. So Jesus has just healed a leper, and it says in, in, in Luke 5, 15, But the news about Jesus was spreading even farther, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus himself would often, that's a key word, Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. So Jesus has been healing people all throughout the New Testament. He's been doing signs and wonders. But it says right there in verse 16 that you'll read right past this. In fact, I'll tell you something really fascinating to me. Over the years, I've accumulated a pretty good library, a theological library. And I've got several commentaries on every single book of the Bible. And I am fascinated at how most theologians, in fact, if not everyone that I've ever read on a, on a commentary on Luke, literally moves right past verse 16. You know why? And if they even say anything, they'll say something like, we know that Jesus prayed and, he, and that was the secret to his effectiveness of ministry. And they move right on. Because we really don't know how to measure life without performance. It's really hard. 
It's hard to deal with how Jesus walked through this world. So Jesus is healing people. But I, I want to say to you this morning, what you see with Jesus and his pace, if you walk away, if you walk away from this moment today and this, this small moment of, of time I've got with you, if you walk away thinking, boy, I sure need to pray a lot more, you've missed what I'm saying. I'm not talking about prayer. I'm talking about pace. I'm talking about communion with God. I'm talking about abiding, what Paul talks about walking in the Spirit. See, I, I, I believe with all my heart, when you go through the Gospels and you look at the life of Jesus Christ, what you find is that Jesus had what I would call, what it be, I would call it a craving. I would call it a craving. Jesus craved time with the Father. And if you drug me off the stage this morning and I shouted at you, whatever you do, don't forget this thing. Don't forget this. This is how I would say it to you. I would say, craving God eliminates toxic cravings. I would say that to you based on who Jesus is. Jesus craved time with the Father. So how did Jesus handle hurry? Craving God eliminates toxic cravings. So how did Jesus handle hurry? How did, how did a hurried lifestyle, a hurried mind, an overloaded life, Jesus had a rhythm of life, but it wasn't toxic. If you've got a toxic rhythm, you're going to have a toxic life, and Jesus was the furthest thing from toxic. So I want to I ask the question this morning. It's not that Jesus just moved slower. Don't hear that. I guarantee you there were times in life when he was busy. Everybody's busy. But the real question is why? Why did Jesus move at the rhythm that he moved at? Why did he do it, and how did he do it? What was the guiding purpose of that? So I, I, I'm going to pick out a few things in the life of Christ that I've seen in the Gospels over the years that I think can help us take a look at. On the street, day in, day out, how did Jesus walk with the Father and how did he handle hurry? I would say that when it comes to Jesus' cravings to be with God, I, I see a pattern in the life of Christ, and it's this, that Jesus used isolation as insulation. Jesus used isolation as insulation. Listen, Jesus did not, hear me now, Jesus did not unplug just to get away. He, he, he really didn't. He did not pull away to unplug. Do you hear me? He did not pull away to unplug. He pulled away to plug in. And there's a difference. He didn't pull away just to unplug from the world. He pulled away to plug in, to communion with God, because Jesus was a man. Now, I know that it's really hard. I, I believe this with all my heart. I believe that evangelicals have a really hard time seeing Jesus as a man. We really do understand him as God. We understand him as the Son of God. But I promise you, if you took a knife and you cut Jesus, he would bleed. If you punched him, he would bruise. Jesus had hair. Jesus had skin. There were certain foods he liked. He was a man. And as when he took on bodily form, he was fully God and fully man. And I know it's hard to get your mind around that, but, but he took on the sins of the world. But he had to do that. He had to walk on this earth. And so by walking on this earth, Jesus had a soul. He had a mind. He had a heart. He had a will. He had emotions. He had, he had a soul. And if you're a human being, your soul is needy. Your soul is needy. And if your soul is needy, let me tell you something. The more you crave God... Those toxic needs, they go away. 
They go away. Jesus had a needy soul. And the more you need God, the less needy you are. When the more you crave God, those toxic needs go away. So, you know, I'll give you an example. Jesus had a, had a pattern of solitude. In John 7, there's an interesting exchange there. It said after, after his brothers had gone up to a feast, gone up to Jerusalem, Jesus also went up, not publicly, but in private. So he left Galilee. This is one example. Jesus left Galilee to go to Jerusalem. That's about 90 miles of a walk. It took roughly, according to some historians, five days. And he went there by himself. Jesus went alone. Jesus consistently withdrew from crowds. He consistently withdrew from crowds. See, and all of you introverts right now, you're going, told y'all, people are overrated. Right? All of you introverts, you just like, I knew it. People are overrated. Yeah. Jesus, Jesus, I don't know if he was an introvert, but he certainly did have a craving to spend time with the Lord his father. Jesus had a place too. He had a place for his soul. It's interesting how he had a designated place and it was the Mount of Olives. Look at what Mark 22 says about it. Mark 22 says that he came out and he proceeded as was his custom. Don't miss that. He came out and he proceeded as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples also followed him. And there he was teaching them how to play. They fell asleep. Remember that? When they, they fell asleep. And so, so, so Jesus, he had a custom. Evidently, when he was in that area, he loved the Mount of Olives. He had a place. You know, you need a place, man. You need a place where I have a, I have a few places where if I really want to go and just sit with God. And I don't tell, those, I don't tell people where those are. I have a, a need to be with God. Jesus had a craving. And it wasn't just to unplug, it was to plug in. And in fact, I find it interesting in this very passage, in verse 16, it says Jesus would often, often, that's a habit, right? That's a habit. He would slip away to the wilderness and pray. Look at what happens. And in one day, that means a few days later, he was teaching and there was some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there. Luke 5, 17, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. Don't miss that. The power of the Lord was present. You see, Jesus understood that he could not be depleted in order to function. But boy, when you look at our lives, most of us are depleted these days. No, Jesus lived by his own rhythm. And I would say to you, in that particular regard, one of the things I love about Jesus is he has a real sense of independency. When you look at his lifestyle, he has a real sense of independency. And in fact, I would say it this way, because of his cravings, because he, his craving with God superseded anything else, craving God eliminates toxic cravings. And so his life was aligned with the Father. And because of that, I would say to you that Jesus never, he, he never let an outside force dictate his direction. He didn't. Jesus had a, a real uncanny ability to lift himself apart from the pace of life. He wouldn't let people, I've noticed it many times in his life, he, he had the ability to avoid letting other people set the agenda for him, right? We call it in the practical world the tyranny of the urgent. The tyranny of the urgent is that the urgent screams at you. Have you ever had the feeling like, man, I have worked all day and got nothing done? You ever had that feeling? Of course you have. The tyranny of the urgent, Jesus avoided that. This is one of my favorite 
sides of the humanity of Jesus I'm going to show you. I, I love this exchange between him and Peter because it was just, it was, it was, it was just sarcastic enough to let you see a different side of Jesus. Look at, what, look at what happens right here. So it says, early in the morning, Mark chapter 1, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and he went to a secluded place. I told you, Jesus had a habit of getting away from crowds. And he was praying there. Simon, Peter, and his companions searched for him. And they found him. And they said to him, everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let's go somewhere else. To the towns nearby, so that I might preach there also, for that is what I came for. You realize what Peter's saying to him, don't you? Peter's saying, hey, boss, like, we got messed up people in line. I mean, we've got people who are deranged running in circles. Can you imagine what that scene was like? we got lepers that need healing. i got a guy with a broken arm that won't work. i got four widows that are hungry. Where are you? And he says, let's go across the lake. Now, he wasn't being a jerk. He wasn't being ugly. He wasn't being unresponsive. I mean, can you imagine the intoxication that could happen to the human brain when you have healing powers? Can you imagine how intoxicating it would be if one of your friends had cancer and you just said, be gone? Next. Can you imagine how intoxicating it must be if a little kid is at Vanderbilt and you could just walk through and say, walk. All those burns in the burn unit, be gone. Hey, little blind girl, see. Can you imagine? But see, Jesus didn't come to be the healer came to be the Savior. And so he knew his mission. And I find it interesting that Peter's like, what are we going to do? Jesus had a habit of, of finding his own rhythm. I really believe that Jesus didn't measure time the way we do. I believe, I believe that Jesus measured, just by looking at his life, I believe that Jesus measured time by the way he measured mission. He measured time by his mission. And that's what, that's what allows him at the end of his life to say, it is finished. It is finished. I did it. I did it. In fact, it, it tells us in the, in the book of Luke that as Jesus was approaching Jerusalem, it says that Jesus set his jaw, that he set his jaw toward Jerusalem, meaning he was determined to go in Luke 9. He was determined to go there. Jesus knew his calling. And when you know your purpose, guess what? When you know, listen to me now, when you know why God put you on the planet, guess what? The tyranny of the urgent is less attractive because you don't have to attend to everybody else's needs. You don't. No, there wasn't any mission creep in Jesus' life. And he didn't let other people, man, listen, if, you, if we could, oh, man, Lord, if we could get our heads around this, that Jesus didn't let other people set his pace for him. Boy. You know, 
I believe that Jesus had a craving for God, and that craving that he had for the Father eliminated toxic cravings. It did. I, I, I really believe that his craving for God eliminated toxic cravings. And, and, and the more I pray through that, and the more I think about that in life, and the more I study on that in life, the more I realize that when you read Psalm 23 and when David, when David said, The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want, if you, it, it's a verse that I, I almost daily will say in my head, I, I, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because I know that if you broke that verse down in the Hebrew in the most uh, non-grammatical kind of what we call rough way to say it, that word is translated, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I lack nothing. You see, when you know that you don't lack anything, well, then you're not as prone to chase everything. When you know that you don't lack anything, that whatever God has given me, I've got what I need. And I think that's what allowed Jesus to walk away and say, Hey, Peter, like I could stand here for days. I could stand here for days. And I'm going to heal those people. But let me tell you something, Peter. They're all going to die. They're all going to die. Even if I heal them from cancer, she's going to die. If I heal that little blind boy from blindness, he's going to die one day. So I got to go to a cross to eliminate death. You see, he set his face to Jerusalem because he knew his mission. There was no mission creep in Jesus. His cravings for God superseded all of it. Now, when I look at the life of Christ and how he handled her, I'm going to throw something at you this morning that may sound a little weird at first, but stay with me for a second. Because how did Jesus handle hurry? How did Jesus navigate pace? How did he stay on mission? How did he seem to let all this pressing stuff not bother him so much? I'll tell you where I think it started, it started at. I would say it to you this way, that Jesus' pace, his ability to have pace, it was grounded in his being accepted by the Father. You say, how does that work, Jason? Wait a minute, acceptance? You mean knowing that I'm accepted by God will dictate like the notifications on my phone? Yes, it will, friend. But you got to stay with me for a second to see how you get there. Jesus knew he was accepted by the Father. Do you notice that, that the, one of the first things the Father did before Jesus even started his public ministry? If you go back and read the Gospels, Jesus is baptized in the Jordan, right? He comes up out of the water, and this is what the Father says. This is my son, and I love him, and I'm pleased with him. I'm pleased with him. Jesus had the acceptance of his heavenly Father. You see, when you know that you don't have to prove your worth, you don't have to run like crazy. When you know that your worth isn't measured by revenue, you don't have to perform like crazy. Now, don't go blaming me for your bad review this year because you're lazy or something. All right, I'm not saying that. No, what I'm saying is that Jesus knew where his worth came from. You see, when you listen to me, friend, listen to me really close. When you know you're accepted by God, you don't need to chase the acceptance of anybody else. You don't. 
You don't. You, you really don't. God spoke love. And so Jesus placed his hope inside his craving for God. Because he, he knew that if I please my heavenly Father, everything else will work out. Everything else will work out. He placed his hopes on no earthly thing. He placed his hopes on his relationship with the Father. He said, the Father and I are one. And then he even prayed for you and me. Remember how he prayed for us? That they may be what? One as we are one. He wanted us to experience oneness with the Father. Because when our cravings, when our cravings fall in line with the heart of God, then we don't chase things that never could fill us up in the first place. And when you chase stuff that can't fill you up, when you drink water from the wrong well, what happens? Life gets out of what? Rhythm. It gets out of rhythm. I love what John Eldridge said about this. Eldridge said, when you place, when when your hopes, he's talking about your hopes, John Eldridge who wrote Wild at Heart in in a, a devotion that I've been reading by him lately. He said, when your hopes are in their proper places, Attached to the right things, not only do you flourish better as a human being, but you're rescued from a thousand heartbreaks. Oh, what a great statement. When your hopes are pinned, when you know what he's saying right there, don't you? When your cravings are where they should be, you're rescued from heartbreaks. Jesus craved time with the Father. He didn't put misplaced hope. Because you know what happens when you misplace your hope? When you, know, you know what happens when you start drinking water from the wrong well? You know what happens when you start looking to Instagram and likes and every, all of that to make sure that you have worth as a person, that somebody validated your existence? You know what happens when you look at a profit and loss statement to validate your worth as a business person? You know what happens when you start looking to your looks in the mirror and are you pretty enough, are you skinny enough, or are you fit enough? When you start doing all of those things, when you start looking at square footage to determine where you measure up with everybody else. You're going to pin your hopes on the wrong things. And when you pin your hopes on the wrong things, you work toward all the wrong stuff. And there's nothing wrong with having stuff. There's nothing wrong. I've got 28,000 followers on Twitter. I know about seven of them. I mean, I don't understand it. But I can't live and die by validation. Jesus Jesus lived and he died by validation of the Father. He craved that. One of my favorite writers in all time, in fact, I would say to you a book that, that, that honestly, unless something changes, will go down in the top three of my entire Christian existence. I don't mean as a preacher. I mean as as just a a follower of Jesus. Uh, If there's one thing I could say to you, a book, I would just love it if you would read it. It's a book called... The Life You've Always Wanted by John Ortberg. Ortberg's a pastor in, he's Presbyterian. He's out in, in uh, Pasadena, or not, excuse me, out, out in the Bay Area, in the San Francisco Bay Area. He's written many, many books. The Life You Always Wanted. And there's a book, there's, in that book, chapter five, is Overcoming a Hurried Life. And I've probably read that single chapter maybe 30 times in my life. And in that, in that, there's a quote that, that always haunts me, and I think nobody says it better than John Ortberg. He said, hurry is not just a disordered schedule. Hurry is a disordered heart. It's a disordered heart. It's cravings that are misplaced. When you start drinking water from the wrong well, 
you're going to get tired. When you feel like you have to answer every single text when it comes through, your brain gets clogged. When you feel like that you've got to be at everybody else's beck and call, don't be shocked if you're overloaded. You see, our cravings, if we want to align with Jesus, then our cravings for God will eliminate toxic cravings. So when Jesus says words like, come to me, all you who are weary, are you weary and burdened? And I'll give you rest. You know he's not talking about sleep, right? He's not talking about sleep. He's saying, why don't you come over into the light? And why don't you walk with me? You see, if you're going to be a disciple, it means you're going to be a follower. And you can't follow if you're outrunning the one leading you. You can't. You can't. If you're going to follow, you've got to fall in behind. And let your authority be given to his authority. So that you crave the things he craves for you. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I'll give you rest. Today, my question to you is, are you tired? Would you come home to the God that made you? Oh, you're going to be busy at times. Are you spent and it's only like January 12th? Are you burned? Are you frustrated? Do you find yourself popping off? Do you find yourself a little short? If you slept eight hours tonight, would you still be tired tomorrow? Why don't you take control of your life by giving up control? And placing it in the hands of the God that is sovereign. And when you understand his sovereignty, I promise you, you can get a grip on your schedule.